who comes to a coffee shop on Sunday morning where it's going to be crowded, might not get a seat, it's wintertime, so the heat's pumping, and now there's like a million people in here, and so it's even hotter. Who does that? We do. That's who does that. People that are hungry, that are not because they want a good message or good worship. I mean, it's great when it's good, right? But because we're just hungry. I mean, look around the room. I mean, some of you, this is your first time here, you know, and you've, you've taken a chance. You're taking a shot. I'll give it, I'll just try it and see. I, I, it's so good to have you. It's not like a typical church. It's a little bit different. We're just very real here. Try to be very honest. We just, we are who we are. Because here's what we've learned. God is a real God. He meets real people right where they are. He's not scared of what you're going through. And I believe this morning, and we'll get to it in a minute. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we'll be. I believe this morning he has a very specific, encouraging word for you. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're here this morning and, and you just want to know that God sees where you are, sees what you're going through, that he's not forgotten about you, I just want you to raise your hand. So that's me. That's what I need from God this morning. All right, let's pray right now. Father, you see the hands that are up in the air. This is just who we are this morning, God. We need you to speak to us. We need to know that you see us. Encourage us, we ask this morning, God, in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're, we're kicking off a, a series called Thankful. It is not spelled incorrectly. We mean for it to have the word full at the end because we believe this, that the way to be thankful is to be full of gratitude. And so we're going to, three weeks, we're going to speak about how to be thankful. This morning, we're going to talk about being thankful for witnesses. Next week, we're going to have um, Gary Sadler. I don't know if you've ever heard of Gary Sadler or not, but he's written a lot of worship songs that you sing. Um, he's going to be here next week sharing with us. He um, is an award-winning songwriter for Hosanna, for Integrity. Just, and it's just a humble guy, and I cannot wait to have him here. He'll be talking about how we can be thankful because of worship, and then two weeks from today, we'll wrap it up. The day after, Sunday after Thanksgiving, we'll all be sitting here like this. Ugh. Man, that was some good food Thursday, right? The Detroit Lions will have beaten the Green Bay Packers to ensure that the Dolphins will still be the only team that finished a, a whole season undefeated. I'll be happy about that because I'm a Panthers fan, but I was a Dolphins fan first. And then we'll be talking that day about how we can be thankful whenever, wherever, whatever. Okay, that'd be a good one. So this morning we're thankful for witnesses. And here's what I want you to understand right up front. Hebrews chapter 12, that we live on a journey. For some of us, we relate more to the analogy of a race. And that's what he uses in this, the author uses in this passage. Um, I know what Nehemiah ran yesterday. Uh, congratulations. Half marathon. Did a great job. Linda ran a couple weeks ago. I, I did not run a half marathon. So I just ran vicariously. I, I got on my computer and tracked them as they were going. I was like, you're doing great. You're fantastic. Because I've run half marathons. It's a lot easier to watch on the computer as they go and cheer them on. Marathons are even better. Oh, you're dying. But I'm good here. I'm sipping my Coke and I'm watching you on the computer. 
Hebrews chapter 12, let's read it real quick. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, if you have, if you're one of the lucky ones that has a sheet, because I'm pretty sure we probably ran out. If you have a sheet this morning, here's number one. You've got to understand the situation. Let's just admit this right up front. A lot of times people do not really understand fully the situation that they're in. Let's name a few of those people. People who burp in public. Uh, you're, you're, a, you're a public burper. That's awesome. And I don't mean like this. Oh, excuse me. I mean like, bleh. They're usually the people that had Cheetos and like a puff of orange comes out of their mouth, right? It's disgusting. People that make out in public. Is that fair to say? Is that too real? Would you like me to act that out? Like you see them. People that pick their nose in the car. They don't understand the situation. <laughs> Did you do, are you a public nose picker? <laughs> See, the thing is, the people that are the worst are the ones that have somewhat tinted windows, right? Because that gives them a little extra level of security. But you can still see them. You're at the stoplight and you just go, dude, get it and get out. There's your, whole, your whole arm, pull it out. <laughs> what a big nostril you have. Um, lots of times if we don't understand the situation that we're in, we will make horrible choices, okay? I'm going to give you one really good example, and it's a sad example, but since I spent so many years working with teenagers, let's just go ahead and say this is a good example. Teenagers who will, and, and I, don't, I, mean, I don't mean this insensitively, but peop, young people that will commit suicide Lots of times as adults, we'll hear that they've committed suicide, and we'll say this to ourselves, over that? You ever done that? You hear about a teenager, they'll, they'll take their life because their girlfriend broke up with them. And as an adult, we hear that and go, over a, a girl? But see, they didn't fully grasp the situation. They didn't understand that the sun comes up the next day, that there's going to be a million more girls out there. They can't get past the moment because they don't understand the situation. Some of you, as adults, have quit your jobs because your boss ticked you off. And you felt so good about your decision until you got in the parking lot and cranked the key and the car didn't start. And you suddenly realized, how am I going to pay to get this fixed? I just quit my job. And you'd love to go back in there and say, I didn't mean it. But you made a rash decision because you didn't fully understand the situation. In our spiritual lives, we don't make good decisions if we don't fully understand the situation. You've got to know what's going on around you so you can make the best choices possible. And that's the first thing we're going to learn right here. You want to be thankful? Let's understand the situation that we're in. I'm not denying that we can be in really horrible situations. I've been in them before, I will be in them again. Sometimes because I'm stupid, sometimes because some stupid person did something to me. 
We will all find ourselves in horrible situations. But if we don't understand the situation that the author of Hebrews is talking about here, we will find ourselves making horrible decisions. So here we go. Here's the first thing to understand about your situation. We are surrounded. Therefore, since we are surrounded, verse 1 says we're surrounded. And sometimes, I've got to be honest and tell you, that's not a good feeling. Like if you're a criminal and the police have you surrounded, that criminal does not go, this feels good. It's like, how do I get out of this, right? I don't know how many of you um, don't like to be in crowded public settings, but if you're one of those people, you're surrounded this morning, and you're kind of sitting here going, how do I get out? How do I get out? There's nowhere to go. There's people everywhere. Sometimes it's not a good feeling to be surrounded. Um, hey, look, the holidays are coming up. I love Thanksgiving. I love Christmas. But this means that a lot of us are going to be around family. And depending on your family situation, being in a room surrounded by family might not be a good thing. I found some, some footage of a recent family get-together, and I thought we would just kind of run it for you, and you can just see how uncomfortable it can be. What? Why did I... Maybe I could just go back to sleep for a few days. Sleep through Thanksgiving. Yeah, the folks would understand. I'm sure it happens. Sure about this, man? Yeah, it'll be all right. I'll watch your stuff. Feed your fish. I don't have a fish. <laughs> My friends are right. In college, it's pretty terrifying seeing the family on the holidays. You get so used to being on your own, living with your friends, staying up late, the first time, grabbing what you're wanting. Well, Mom promised to be a small get-together this year. Some years, it could just be crazy. believed in heaven. It's exactly where I want to be at this moment. 
Mickey! Give your uncle a big hug. Darling, how sweet with you guys. You like my new hat? And there they were, the two men I feared more than anyone on this planet. My ex con brother Jim and redneck Uncle Kurt. Mikey, how you doing, huh? Right. Look at that! Ah! Put her there. <laughs> hey, Mike, what you been up to, buddy? Got a chance to use that fishing pole I gave you yet? Father, we gather here today thankful not only for the food that you've given us, especially Mom's pumpkin pie, which is truly a gift from heaven. Amen. But we come together, Lord, thankful that you've given us the love and support of each other. When I think about our family, I'm reminded that each of us is a unique creation of yours, equally precious and equally loved in your eyes. And besides our shortcomings and failures, we're each your children. The same children you, you sent your son to die for. And what could be better than to give thanks to the one who gave us our lives and to give them back to each other and to give them back to you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. I started to wonder why I didn't want to come here. Uncle Nestor, Aunt Rose, my brother Jim, Uncle Kurt, even crazy Uncle Chuck and Aunt Linda. Families can be a strange bunch, but where would we be without them? It would have been a mistake not to come here. No, it would have been wrong. I realized what it was that hit me that day. These people are not just family, they're part of my life. And in their own unique way, all they really wanted, all they were trying to show me, was they really wanted me to be a part of theirs. Bye, honey. So sometimes it can be awkward to be surrounded, <clears throat> but it always probably works out well. 
in the end, hopefully your Thanksgiving holidays are not quite like that, unless you have a crazy Uncle Chuck. I don't know. So we are surrounded. Um, in our passage, it is a very good thing to be surrounded because we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, people who were referred to in Hebrews chapter 11, people who went before us, people who have been faithful, who were not crazy Uncle Chuck. So we're surrounded. We're also seen by that same great cloud of witnesses. The, the, num the word literally means this, a numberless multitude. I don't know what the biggest crowd you've ever been around is. For me, um, because my, my dad grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. His dad had season tickets to the volunteer football games for 50-some-odd years. And going to Neyland Stadium and being surrounded by 108,000 crazy people, mostly wearing orange, and hearing them sing Rocky Top and do the wave, you kind of find yourself as a grown man going, I'm getting chill bumps at a football game just because of the crowd, you know, you're, you know, you run a race around here, you run a 5K, the crowd is like 30 people going, you're stupid. Run. There are 110,000 people. You're surrounded. It's just nuts. Maybe even no concert. You know what it's like to be surrounded by a large crowd, a limitless number of people, a multitude. They see us. And here's the deal. We're surrounded. We're seen. Here's the last one. We're supported. And it's this third one that makes the first two not so crazy. Because um, sometimes if you know that you're surrounded and you know that they're looking at you, it's a little bit creepy, right? Stalker. But this third one, that crowd that surrounds you, that crowd that sees you, the Bible says that crowd supports you. It's one thing to be surrounded. It's another thing to be surrounded by people who are on your side. Now, this is a home field advantage. Think about where you are, where you are in your life right now. Those of you that raised your hands earlier and said, I just need God to, I need to know that he sees me. How does it feel to know that you are surrounded by a limitless multitude of people who are for you? They see right where you are, and they support you. They cheer you on as you run the race. I've been in a volleyball game, not playing, just watching, and, and watched a team come back. And by the time that game was over, the whole crowd is chanting the name of the person who's serving at that time. And you kind of get caught up, and like suddenly you're chanting for strangers. Go, person I don't know. Hit the ball harder. Spike it. Sweat's pouring down. And it's a high school girls basketball volleyball game. It's crazy because the crowd just starts to cheer for the people that are playing. And that's where you are. Hebrews 12 says this morning, you might feel like you're alone. The situation you're in might make you think nobody watches you, nobody sees you, nobody supports you. But now we're back to how we have to understand the situation. And when you understand the situation, if nobody on earth sees you, this passage says that there is a great, limitless multitude of a cloud of people that see and support you. Two, 
Now, your sheet says understand the blank, and it should say utilize. It'll work either way, but you can change it if you want to. We've got to understand the situation, and we've got to utilize the strategy. And here's the deal. We can run the race. People can cheer us on to win, but the race still gets hard. When I ran my first marathon in Richmond, I, I enjoyed it for the first, I don't know, maybe 10 miles. And, you know, I, people make these cool posters, you know, like, I'm drinking coffee, you're running, ha, 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 stuff like that. Somewhere around mile 20, I don't care how many people are cheering you on, it's just really hard to keep going. So can we just say that right now, that we've gotten halfway through the message, and I'm telling you, hey, cheer up, people see you, keep going. And you're thinking, yeah, but I'm dying here. So basically, when I ran my marathon, mile 21, 22, 23, here's what I'm thinking. There's a lot of people here, and they're all going to watch me die right here in the road. It's going to be great for them. Somebody's going to have a camera going. They're going to be a millionaire off of YouTube, but I'm going to be dead. And they're all here to watch my demise. And sometimes in the race we run with Jesus, that's how we feel. Is that fair to say? It's great. Thanks so much, Pastor Paul, for it just reminding me that lots of people are going to see me crash and burn. Really appreciate that. And sometimes it's because we, I want to just challenge you and say, have we utilized the strategy that the author lays out for us here? And here's what it is. Three things, three ways to run. Number one, run light. He says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Throw off means don't, don't, Take your time taking it off. Don't just kind of lay it. Don't hope it falls off. I mean, throw off is like, whew. just jot this down. Mark chapter 10, verse 50. You read that later, here's what it'll say. That a man who desperately needed Jesus to touch him threw off his cloak and stood up and went to Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to throw off the stuff that's keeping us from getting to Jesus before we get up and go to Jesus. Now, Sometimes we get surprised by things that are no-brainers. We sit around and look at people and we wonder, how in the world did they get to the situation they're in right now? How did sin get a hold of them? How did they get to that place? And we're so shocked that it could happen. But what does the Bible say right here? It says that we're supposed to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's not a shock that people get entangled with sin, right? I mean, we live in the South, and God has given us the perfect example of how sin can entangle a person's heart. It's kudzu, right? I mean, we've got it at our house. I hate that stuff. Like you, we, I feel like we could burn our whole house down, and when they came back to clean it up, they would see that the kudzu was beginning to grow again. I hate that stuff. But it just goes wherever it wants, and it just entangles whatever. That's what this is talking about. That's what sin does. Don't be surprised when it happens to you. It easily entangles us. And that's kind of sad. Look at that person next to you. They look strong. Maybe they even smell strong right now. But according to Scripture, they're not strong in and of themselves. They're not able to keep sin from easily entangling. We don't even make it hard. We don't really even put up a fight. This is, 
Veterans Day weekend, right? This is when our country honors veterans. Maybe you're here this morning. We honor you because you know what you did? You fought for us. Sometimes we don't even fight against sin. We just, oh, it got me again. I can't get out. Oh. It so easily entangles us. Don't be surprised. Just throw off. Well, it's not that easy. I, okay, I get that. Take a step. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. So run light. Run long. I got a text this past week from somebody who this morning is running their first half marathon. She said, got any advice? And I sent her three words. Run, period. Don't stop, period. I don't know what else to say. You got to run 13.1 miles, so start at the beginning and don't stop till you cross the line. Run long. I'm not impressed with Christians that are really good with Jesus for a week. Show me a man who's like 90, who's been following Jesus faithfully, and that person has run the race with perseverance. The author says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Jesus does not live to confuse you. Isn't that good to know? Now, look, I get that we don't experience it that way. And so this morning's a tough message. It's going to encourage you in the end, but here's where some of you are right now. I hear what you're saying, Paul. I even hear what the Bible's saying. But what you're saying and what the Bible's saying is so far away from what I'm living right now. I can't even fathom that what the Bible's saying is true. And I'm just going to tell you like it is because that's who I am, right? That's when we have to say this. The Bible's true. My experience is just my experience. But one has to bow to the other, and we have to bow to Scripture. So when I say, hey, run with perseverance, the race that God's clearly marked out for you, and your answer to me is, clearly, are you kidding? I'm as confused as I've ever been. The problem is not with how God marked the course. It's with our ability to see. I, I stopped praying a long time ago and asking God to speak to me because I realized he does speak. I started praying this, God, fix my ears. I can't hear you. I know you're speaking because the Bible says that you communicate with us. You say, it says you clearly marked the course, and I'm lost, God. So instead of saying to God, why can't you be better at marking the course? My prayer has got to be, open my eyes so that I can see clearly the place you've marked for me to run. Run light. Run long. And the last one is run looking. I have, I have shared this a number of times when I talk about this scripture passage because I love the word fix. Such a good southern word, you know. I'm fixing to do this. I'm fixing to do that. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And the best illustration I can give you of fixing your eyes on something is way back when Sydney was a lot smaller than she is now. We're, we're sitting on the couch, and we're watching Dora the Explorer, which is a great show. You know, Dora, Dora, Dora the Explorer. Vominos, or whatever it is. Vomit something, whatever. And, like, I'm sitting on one side of the couch, and the coffee table's here, and she's on the other side of the couch, and I don't know what I'm eating, but I'm eating something, and we're watching Dora. 
And Sydney is looking at the TV the whole time, and here's what she, she does this. Dad, yeah, baby, can I have some of your candy? Sure, come get some. She's down off the couch, around the coffee table. Thanks, Dad. See, that's fixed. That's fixed. Some of you men, you know fixed, right? Because, like, that's you watching sports. Some of you women, lifetime comes on, God help you all. I mean, your whole house could burn down, but you're not doing anything until you know how that woman's going to kill that evil man, right? I mean, you are fixed on that show. Pregnant woman has to go to the bathroom, right? She is fixed on that door. She's going to kill you if you're in the way, right? She's going. I mean, you fixed. Get your eyes fixed. The author says, run the race looking. Look, fix your eyes on who? Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at, look at him the whole time you're running. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And then I love this. He describes who we're looking at. Not only is Jesus like the halo dude with the picture and the long hair and the, you know, like that. The Bible says that he is Jesus who ran with endurance as well. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He scorned its shame. And that's hope for us. Because how many of us, if we're honest, you don't have to raise your hand, we're reading this. I'm teaching you this passage, and you are thinking the whole time, I'm not saying this to make you feel bad, it's just this, we're, we're real, we're people. The whole time you're thinking, but you don't understand. But you don't understand. You don't know what I'm going through. If you knew my situation, you wouldn't say it like you just said it. And then we get to this verse, and it says, okay, so while you're running, I know you're tired. I know you want to stop. I know you get lost. Sometimes you can't see the way. I'm telling you to run with perseverance, and you don't really want to. So just look, when you're really tired, fix your eyes on Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you will not see a man who's just like, ah. you will see a man who endured the cross, who scorned its shame who went through hell and back more times than you and I ever will. Look at him. And I don't know how you are, but if I see that, I start thinking about the things I'm going through like, oh, I mean, what I'm going through is hard, but I, I hadn't endured the cross. And, and if I did, I don't even know if I would have scorned its shame. I might have whined about its shame. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Verse 3 says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why do we do that? So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're not even talking about verse 4, but the author goes on to say, Look, I know that you're struggling, but you've never even struggled to the point that Jesus struggled. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I will say this, run looking. And just look up. Don't run down here. Don't be, I know we get our eyes pulled down by all the stuff we go through. And for some of you this morning, the greatest act of faith you can do today is just look up. 
not give in the offering later, not tell somebody about Jesus. Those are good things. Some of you just need to look up and fix your eyes back on Jesus. So when we understand the situation, when you know that you're surrounded, that you're seen, that you're supported, when we utilize the strategy, when we run light, when we run long, when we run looking, we find ourselves running with confidence that you can make it because other people have made it. You find yourself running with perseverance to continue no matter what you face. You find yourself running with thankfulness that you have witnesses that are pointing the way. When I run a marathon, you know who my favorite people are? I, I, it's not even my family. My favorite people are the people that stand at the corner of the last turn. And when I'm about to die, they go, it's just right there. And I turn, and there's the finish line. And it's like you're so tired and you're so happy, you just wet your pants and run. I mean, you're sprinting at the end. And my favorite people are the ones that stand on that corner and tell me I'm that close to the finish. You are surrounded by people in a cloud of witnesses who have seen the end. And they know where we are and they cheer us on. And they don't do this, run faster because I'm the best cheerer ever. They say, right around here, there's Jesus, run. There he is. They're all pointing to Jesus. They're all telling you, look to Jesus. There's the finish. Run there. And our hearts get full of thanks because we didn't run alone. Because we've got people who are on our side, who have surrounded us and are pointing us to Jesus. And when that happens, man, you can go through anything. And have thanks. Tomorrow, my brother would have turned 42. And I'm so thankful that he is in this cloud of witnesses for me. He's up there with my mom. He's with other people in our family. He's with some of your family members. And he is cheering me on. I'm more thankful that my brother left me an example of how this looks when it's lived out in this life. And I've shared it a lot of places. We're going to share it this morning to close. My brother, for those of you who are new here, you don't know who my brother was. He had cerebral palsy. So what that meant was for him, he shook all the time like this. All the time. His, some, some things he couldn't do. He couldn't, you know, really brush his hair good. He was like everybody else. He, he'd get an attitude. He didn't like the way he was. You know, how many of you know teenagers that are just, sorry, just total jerks? Yeah, they're just crabby all the time, just always angry. You know, when my brother became a teenager, I mean, he might have had cerebral palsy. He might have had some mental handicaps, but he was just like, he just didn't like himself. And, you know, he, we, we had this wall in our house called the mashed potato wall. Because, like, if he didn't want mashed potatoes and my mom sat it there, he was just like, shoo, right there. Beautiful wall, mashed potato wall. So he... Look, he didn't necessarily like the way he was. He knew that he had limitations. He didn't like the limitations. He struggled with that stuff. Let me tell you what we learned in our family. We surrounded our brother. We saw him. We supported him. 
we encouraged him to run the race. And so we take him to Special Olympics one time. And my brother loved to swim. He wasn't good at it. He wasn't fast. He just loved the water. We took him to Special Olympics, and he was going to be like in the 100-meter freestyle. You know, like jumping Olympics out of swimming pool. You swim to the other end. You swim back. You're done. And he happens to be going up against these three kids with Down syndrome. If you know anything about Down syndrome and Special Olympics, you know that Down syndrome kids, they're like the LeBron James of the Special Olympics, right? They, they run faster, jump higher, swim. They're just, they win everything. And so my brother's like, he's up on the start line, and he's just happy to be there. You know, he's just flapping and waving to us up in the crowd. We're up in the stands. That's my brother down there. And he's, they said, you know, on your mark, get set. And they don't fire the gun, right? Because like in Special Olympics, it's a bad idea, right? Safety first, people. So it's like, on your mark, get set, go. Splash, splash, splash. By the time he jumped in the water, they're at the other end of the pool. By the time he gets to the other end of the pool, I mean, they're out, towed off, award ceremony, the whole deal. I mean, it's over. My brother's at the other end of the pool holding on, and he has lost. Now, look, there's a lot of preachers that will smile big like this and tell you that you're a winner and that you'll never have trouble. I'm not that guy. Let me just tell you this. I've just preached a message about running a race with perseverance about running light, running long, all these things, there will be times in your life when you will be where my brother was. You will have tried, and you will fail. The question today is, if your heart's full of thanksgiving, if you're thankful, what do you do in that moment? And I learned from my brother to do this. Make the best of every situation. And he holds on, he turns around, and he suddenly realized he had an entire Olympic-sized swimming pool all to himself. <laughs> so he just kicked back on his back, and he's just taking his time coming back, you know. <laughs> he's like flipping around in the water, doing the whole, poosh, you know, just all this stuff, and kind of waving at us up in the stands. And we're up in the stands kind of going, oh, God, Stephen, you know. It's a Special Olympics. They don't like people to die. It's a good thing. So they have, like, safety precautions everywhere. They had lifeguards all around that pool. And I used to be a lifeguard. You know? Anybody used to be any of you guys lifeguards? Yeah? Here's the thing about lifeguards. A little secret. Lifeguards don't like to get wet. They don't. They just like to be cool and do that little whistle thing. Hey, baby. That's right. I can do it that way, too. I don't like to get wet. I saved a girl one time in three feet of water. It went like this. Stand up! Stand. Reach for me. Farther. Don't make, don't, don't make me get this. Put your feet on the... You okay now? Get all wet. Hey, baby. See, that whistle thing's not cool when you're dripping wet, Right? They don't like people to get hurt at Special Olympics. They got lifeguards all around that. My brother got to the middle of that pool and he started treading water. And he got this grin on his face. You got people in your family like that, right? When they grin, you're like, oh, I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be good. <laughs> so we start telling him, that's my, that's my boy. That's my brother. He's in, and he took this big old deep breath. And he went straight to the bottom in the middle of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Splash, 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 splash. 
All those lifeguards, they all swam out and made a little circle, and as soon as they did, he just popped his head up and kept on swimming. I love that. Be thankful this morning. You are surrounded. You have a cloud of witnesses. They see you. They support you. They cheer your name and point you to Jesus. You can make the best of even the worst circumstance when you take your eyes off of you and fix them on Jesus.